Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us here on the Mark Steiner Show. Here, right here on your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. And on our March to the Annapolis Summit, which is uh, next Wednesday, uh, we uh, continue our conversations with our print partner, The Daily Record, that prints the articles. We do the conversations on the air about a different subject every week that's going to be affecting uh, the politics of Annapolis in these next three months. And we're about to talk to Brian Sears, uh, who is government government reporter for The Daily Record uh, and has put the article out, Spending Mandates May Drive Maryland Legislative Sessions Budget Debate, which I'm sure is very real. And, Brian, welcome. Good to have you with us. Uh, thanks a lot. Does this make uh, make your show also the home for cool state budget news then? It is. We're the, we're, it, exactly. <laughs> right. We can make the state budget cool. <laughs> so, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to try. <laughs> so... It's in, so let's take a step backwards. So when we left Annapolis last year, nobody thought there was going to be a, a deficit. Am I right about that? That's correct. I mean, they anticipated that they had really conquered much of the structural deficit, that there was some minor tinkering that needed to be done. But they were going to walk out of Annapolis and come back here this year with a, you know, roughly a $100 million surplus. Um, the, unfortunately, what happened in the interim is, is that the uh, optimistic revenue projections didn't materialize. And I should point out, Mark, that it didn't just happen here in Maryland. We started to see signs of this early, um, I guess maybe late last summer, that happened in Virginia with a similar situation where their their revenues outpaced um, their expectations and actually were at historic highs, but they still underproduced in terms of their uh, their projections. So what? So what? What? Um, what do you think this means politically? I mean, we have no idea what the governor is going to do, unless you have some speculation about what he might do. Yeah, I don't get. I don't do too much about. The, I, I don't get too much into the speculative part. I like to try and report what I actually know. Um, and we won't know what the governor is going to do until the governor shows us. And and he's really been pretty disciplined about keeping his cards pretty close to the vest until uh, until he he's ready to reveal them. So I think you know we'll probably. Sometime between now and the second week of session, we'll really get a good idea of what's going to be in the governor's budget. Um, politically, what this means, I think, is is that there's going to be a lot of talk about. Uh, I, I think you can expect some budget cuts. Um, and 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 again, I should point out, Maryland's budget revenues are growing. Um, they're going to be higher in the coming year than they were last year. You know, in in than they were in the current budget year. Um, so the state's going to have more money to work with, um, roughly about 3.6% more year over year. Um, the problem is, is that with all of the spending requirements that are baked into the budget, um, Maryland's budget growth is programmed to grow at about 5%. So clearly the numbers don't work. So, but there's a real divide here. I'm clear this has been a, was a political football last year, right? Yeah, absolutely. Huge. Uh, the governor's made it clear that, um, he wants more flexibility on mandates, but said he wouldn't cut certain mandates. So how does that play itself out? Yeah, I mean, look, he, he had introduced a bill last year that would have given him some flexibility um, using a, a form where they would look at revenue projections in December coming into the session. And if they didn't sort of exceed a certain amount, then that would give him the ability to, you know, to, to come back and sort of reduce the, you know, reduce these mandates um, and he wouldn't have to abide by them. Uh, the legislature killed that bill pretty quickly. Um, Maggie McIntosh, in a conversation with me for the story that you're referencing, um, pointed out that you know the governor and the legislature have other ways of dealing with this, including a uh, 
a, a budget reconciliation process that they can go through, um, which has a really unsexy name called the Burf. You know, we call it the Burfa down here, and and it Burfa, um, not Burka. No, Burfa, B-R-F-A, the Budget Reconciliation and Financing Act, and that essentially allows the governor and the legislature to take a one-time pause in things um, without sort of creating, you know, a, a sort of this universal reduction of mandates, and so, you know, the 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 del- you know the chairwoman of the the House Appropriations Committee says, given the fact that they can do that, you know there really aren't a lot of mandates that are true mandates. So I mean, so I mean, this this, this what this will mean. I mean, is they they would have to take money out of certain things that are not mandates. What's what's not a mandate? Transportation's not a mandate, right? Medicaid's well, uh, not a okay. mandate. Oh well, you know, no, there is there Medicaid. There are there are Medicaid mandates. Um, and, and look, I mean, it's depending on who you talk to. Um, you get a different number on on exactly how large a percentage the mandates are. I think uh, some legislators have told me that number is really around around 40, 45 percent. The the governor uses a much larger number, um, but I'm told that you know that that figure includes a lot of a lot of things that the federal government kicks in money for that can only be spent for those purposes. Uh, look, I mean, I think really what you're primarily going to see is you're going to see. Um, reductions, reductions in spending um, for things that are not mandated. Um, y- you will probably see, you know, I, there there are other ways that the governor can hold the line on can hold the line on this um, without doing sort of these mandates. Uh, it's going to be problematic though to touch things like education, uh, Medicaid spending. Um, all of those things are, you know, politically third rail. So, will do you think the Democrats or their leadership in the House and Senate will will push for any f- new fees or taxes or new revenue streams? You know, again, there, there's a there's a political third rail for you. I think the lesson of the 2014 election is that there's very little appetite uh, among the voting population for additional taxes and fees, and I don't get any sense from leadership down here that that's a direction that they want to lean in for the coming session, especially given the fact that we're roughly 18 months, you know, maybe two years from, you know, the first primary election of 2018. Which will be a big one. Um, Absolutely. Huge. So so, so when, when the delegate McIntosh, who is one of the leading leaders of the, of the, of the uh, General Assembly, on the Democratic side, obviously, um, when she says that she doesn't think, as you wrote in your article, that mandates uh, are, are really the problem, I mean, so where do they go from there? Um, well, look, first of all, Maryland has a, um, a, an extremely executive-driven um, budget. Um, Maryland has probably the most, um, uh, the most powerful governor in, in the state of the, you know, within the 50 states, primarily because he has so much control over the budget. So the legislature will ultimately take their lead, their first lead, from the document that the governor delivers, and then they'll get a whack at it. Um, they'll have an opportunity to kind of you know, make some changes, move things around. Um, really, this is going to be an exercise in living within, living within our means and finding a way to sort of make up that, you know, make up that difference between, you know, the 3.6 percent and the one point, you know, and, and, and the 5% increase in spending. Yeah, look, I mean, I think that you'll, one of the things that could potentially be on the chopping block again, as it has been in the past, is aid to local jurisdiction. Um, there have been, over the last couple of years, one-time 
grant funding to uh, counties and municipalities for uh, for road projects um, as as part of their as part of their highway money. Um, that could you know that could potentially be something that's on the chopping block. Um, and and this is money that local jurisdictions really look you know really look towards uh, you know getting and spending on their local road projects. So could that could set up some interesting warfare in the House and the Senate between localities, I would imagine. Absolutely, and it, and and that's an annual. You know, to be honest <laughs> with you, that's that's been an annual discussion ever since um, we saw these drastic reductions. You have to remember that under uh, you know under former Governor O'Malley, those jurisdictions saw their state aid for those projects decrease by ninety five percent. That's interesting. That's an important thing to remember, right? Right. And so they, what they would like to see is they would like to see, and the governor has promised them that he would try and return that to the levels, you know, the, the 2007, 2008 years um, and get them sort of back to even where they were back then. Um, but that, ha- that hasn't been made, sort of, that hasn't happened fully. Um, I think the local jurisdictions would love to see that happen, but this budget news is not good for anybody. So you know, I guess that, that would play havoc a little bit on this on the on the on the battle over transportation and the limits they put on the governor. The governor says are onerous, and 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 uh, and they're saying no, it's not onerous. onerous. The governor can do what he wants with transportation spending. He just doesn't tell us what he's going to do. But if transportation is one of those places where you pull the money out of, that that would that would play into a larger debate there, wouldn't it? Well, it, it would, and it could really be the first time that, I mean, look, I don't know that that's exactly what's going to happen, but there is a small caveat in that whole discussion. It used to be that you could pull money out of the Transportation Trust Fund right. to, back, to backfill some of the problems with the budget. And then as part of the agreement that was reached a couple of years ago, um, I think in 2013, when, we, when the state raised the gas tax, they also implemented a lockbox feature that really requires the governor and the legislature to declare that there is some kind of a, uh, a, a fiscal state of emergency that would allow them um, to, to move money out of the trust fund. And so it, it hasn't, you know, this is not a provision that's very old. It's only a couple of years old. It's never been used. And, and to be honest with you, I should say, I should say right now, like, I, I don't have any indication that, that's, that that is something that would be done um, at this point, but it would be a first if it happened. So, in wrapping up here, I, you know, the, the, the we'll begin in a contentious way because the first things that may happen in the beginning of the session will be the override of these vetoes. I wonder how those that kind of contention and that tension between Senate President Mike Miller and House Speaker Michael Bush and Governor Larry Hogan is going to make this play out. You know what I'm saying? I mean, how's that? I mean, that that I mean, they both have to stake out some political ground here. Yeah, and look, I think uh, I think what you're asking me is, is you know, how how will that play out in terms of the rest of the session? And I think that from the from the legislators that I've talked to, they're they're expecting that this third year is going to be a much more difficult year. That they're going to butt heads with the governor a lot more than they have in the past, um, and that the governor is going to butt heads with them a lot more. Um, and and maybe that's to be expected given the fact that we're you know we're three years deep into the session and we are getting ready to go into an election year. Well, this is going to be very interesting, and I do appreciate all the stuff you do uh, in your reporting and look forward to uh, seeing you in Annapolis next week and continue our conversations all during the session. Uh, Brian Sears is, of course, government reporter for the Daily Record and our print partners for the Annapolis Summit coming up uh, and for these series of conversations about the issues leading up to the summit. And, Brian, thank you so much. Always a pleasure thanks. to have you on the air with me. Thanks so much, Mark. Happy New Year. Ta- you Same to you. Take care. You too. 
And on our way to talk to Senator Wah, I want to remind you all uh, about the Annapolis Summit listening, as you listen to this conversation. So uh, join us there. It's next Wednesday, this coming Wednesday, January the 11th, our 14th annual Annapolis Summit will be held at the Governor Calvert House in Annapolis. Now, you've just heard some of the stuff here, and it's your chance to have direct conversations with Governor Larry Hogan, Senate President Mike Miller, and House Speaker Michael Bush. Have your voice heard and your questions answered. And uh, we really want you to join us there for the 14th Annual Annapolis Summit. To get tickets, call Haley Polling at 443-524-8161. That's Haley Polling, 443-524-8161. Or you can email her at hpolling, that's H-P-O-L-I-N-G, at thedailyrecord.com. But please do come. The Annapolis Summit is sponsored by The Daily Record, Stevenson University, the Hopkins Center for a Livable Future, Maryland State Education Association, Alexander and Cleaver, VPC, and WEAA. So now in our continuing conversations about uh, this budget deficit uh, that's facing Maryland and what that will mean, uh, the debate, one of the biggest debates taking place in the state legislature, as we said earlier, will be around the question of the deficit, whether mandates should be cut. Uh, and how we're going to approach it, which very different views from the governor's mansion to Republican and Democratic representatives inside the state Senate and the state House. And we are now joined by State Senator Stephen Waugh, who is a Republican who represents the 29th District in Calvert and St. Mary's County. Uh, and Senator, welcome. Good to have you with us. Hey, thanks for having me, Mark. So, so, so the governor has not told us what's going to happen yet, obviously, that his announcement comes after, after the opening of the session about what he will suggest in terms of the budget. But talk about what this uh, deficit means from your perspective. We have a what could be a $1 billion deficit stretching from the current year through fiscal 2019, unless things change in the next couple of years. Um, and it's always been a battleground around this issue, no matter who's governor. So tell me what you think is going to happen and what you think should happen. Well, okay, so the fundamental problem is that 80% of the, of the state's budget is set in formula. Right. So every year, the governor uh, basically he he pulls out the Excel spreadsheet, hits run, and off uh, now you come with eighty percent of your spend. The problem is that with all of that spending mandated by formulas, the governor doesn't have a lot of flexibility in shifting priorities and then flexing as the economy grows and ebbs. So that's really what the governor's talking about. Now the the problem that we're fixing to have here is what's called the structural deficit. That's where the formulas demand more spending than we really expect in revenue because of the economy. So as everyone knows, the economy ain't, ain't doing so great, but the, the formulas keep adding spending every year no matter what. So we're fixing to go underwater uh, here fairly shortly. And combined with you know, the uh, revenue hasn't been what it's supposed to be this last year, you know, we had to downgrade at $400 million, so that took away what we thought was all the surplus that we had. Uh, we're in a bit of a bind. So the game now is, how do you figure out which formulas to cut back? So I think step number one is we stop adding new spending. Last year, we added an additional billion dollars, a billion with a B. We had about 100 extra spending bills that came in uh, that over the next five years we're going to below another billion dollars on a variety of things. So we've got to stop doing that, number one. And then number two, we've got to go back and look at all of the big formulas and figure out how to unwind them as best we can. So now, there are a few I'm places sorry. for us to go. 
No, there, I mean, there are a few places for us to go. Uh, and uh, they're all going to be tough fights. And it's, it's going to be about, you know, providing some real leadership, the priority to make decisions. So. But that's what people send us to Annapolis to do. So, I mean, in Maryland, we have to have a balanced budget, right? And so, uh, and so you have to come up with something by the end of the session. Uh, some of this can be done by the, the, the Board of Public Works, what I understand. But, um, but let's talk about where, where those cuts would take place. I mean, we talk mandates. The most mandates are things like the governor, I think he's saying that he would not touch like um, state pensions, education, the rainy day fund, uh, state bombs, bonds would be exempted. So where, where does that leave you? I mean, what is it? So what do you begin to look there, at? There to, aren't there aren't really a lot of places to go. If you if you look at the state budget, the uh, you know one of the big chunks uh, is transportation, right? Another big chunk is K twelve education. Another big chunk is higher education, and then a really big chunk is uh, health, right? So if we take a hard look at each one of those, and I think there's some opportunities to dial things back and make some advances, particularly as we're looking at, you know, we're going to get a repeal of Obamacare. I think that's underway as we speak. But we don't know what that's um, going to mean yet, because that, that, you know, that's going no, to be... No, we, right? we really don't. We, we don't. But what we can do is start plotting out our own future and then feeding the Maryland delegation saying, here's what we'd like the answer to be. Uh, and hopefully they'll support us on it all. But uh, healthcare is one place that we need to go. We need to take a real hard look at uh, do we need to have all of this additional Medicaid uh, funding? Do we need to come up with a different way of uh, taking care of those uh, those items? Or are we going to have to go and make some really tough cuts in higher ed? Or are we going to do some really tough cuts in transportation? I mean, there's there's no easy place to go. Uh, it's not like we have a billion dollars of, you know, just real silliness lying around. All of this stuff is associated with things that people do really care about. So how do you respond to Democrats who would say, that they don't yet see mandates the problem. That we've had these structural deficits before, we've created these temporary fixes which have gotten us through, and so that in the good times we still have the mandates and what we need for the state. So how do you respond? Well, as long as <laughs> the reason the Democrats don't think it's a problem is because they're totally cool with raising taxes, because that's been their way to solve this uh, over the last ten years. Is that they just turn right around and they they either jack up the taxes or they jack up borrowing and. In the capital budget, so uh, you know if if you're comfortable either raising taxes or borrowing money, it's not a big deal. Uh, but if you're fiscally conservative, if you're uh, you know a little bit smarter about the outlook, saying hey, I'm not going to rob Peter to pay Paul, I'm not going to uh, keep spending on the backs of the Maryland taxpayer, then you got to be a little bit smarter about how you spend your dollars. So I mean it's. It's no different than being, a, you know, a family at home. Is that, you know, you got to make decisions every month when the paychecks in, and and what do I buy and what do I don't? If my paycheck's a little bit smaller or my mortgage gets a little bit higher, then something's got to give. You find some place to make it work. You can't go swipe the credit card and then say, "Yeah, problem solved." So, <clears throat> I'm curious where you think those cuts might come. Well, let me before I ask you that again, let me ask you what you think the reality of the political battle is going to be in your house and the other house vis-a-vis the governor's uh, budget and what has to be done. I mean, because Republicans may uh, have the go- have the governorship, obviously, minority in both the House and the Senate. So wh- how do you see this thing playing out, politically speaking? Well, uh, there, there are a couple of important things. First off, 
the governor sets the top line of the budget. So the most important function that Larry Hogan fulfills is to say, we're going to spend this and no more. So kind of regardless of everything else, uh, what the governor can do is to say, hey, you know, last year we spent $40 billion. Next year we are not going to spend 50 We're going to spend 41 That's it. And that's what he's done two years in a row. And as a result, we haven't had any tax cuts or tax increases. So the legislature can't force him to spend more unless they spend or they pass another mandated spending bill. So that's the only way they can make him do it. So what I expect to happen here this session is that Governor Hogan once again will come out with a balanced budget that will limit spending, but he may have to move money from, you know, one account to the other. And if he does, then that forces a budget reconciliation and then things get a little bit crazier. But ultimately, <laughs> he can set that top. Well, that was that was right. the fun part last year. And I'll tell you, I, I tell you, it was like someone had kicked their puppy when the governor came out with a budget that didn't require a reconciliation. Because that was, that was the big opportunity to mess with the governor, and they didn't have it anymore. We, he stole their lollipop. But... What I expect to happen this year is, is that the governor is going to have to make some hard choices, uh, and he has not he has not telegraphed what his uh, priorities in that budget are going to be yet. But when he does, I, he's going to set a top line that we can afford without a tax increase, and that's probably going to end up moving money, you know, maybe out of transportation into education, maybe out of higher ed into K twelve, you know, maybe out of. Uh, uh, maybe out of uh, Medicaid into uh, K twelve. Who knows? Uh, but so, if he has to move, if he has to move money around like that, then we'll end up with a reconciliation bill. So when, when does the governor's announcement take place? The governor will give his state of the state. I want to say in two weeks. That's what I thought. Right. And then right. his then his budget will come out shortly thereafter. So I I think we'll. We'll see his budget, have the first copy of it uh, by the end of January. And then we'll, you know, then it'll be, uh, as we as we used to say in uh, dog fighting, you know, tapes on, fights on. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, um, <laughs> a dog, is dog fighting not illegal down in Calvert County? It's, it's legal up here in Baltimore. I'm just oh, kidding. No, 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 no. I used to, I used to fly jets. I used just, to fly jets in the Marine Corps. I'm so just teasing you. I'm just teasing you. I'm just teasing you. So, yeah. so, um, <laughs> so, so. And dog fighting is legal at, at Naval Air Station Fax River, by gosh. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, it's encouraged at test pilot school. <laughs> well, that kind of dog fighting you have to do if you're in that business. But so, yeah. <laughs> right? So, so. Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, coming back to, 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 the, to the budget here for a moment. So, if. If the governor um, at last year in the battle that happened last year um, made it clear he, he really wants to limit mandated spending growth is what he said in years when their things are tight. Um, right. And what does it mean when, you, when, when he says only 86 of 150 mandated spending requirements would be affected um, in what happened in terms of last year? So as I said earlier, K through 12 is exempted, state pensions exempted, rainy day funds exempted. Uh, state bonds would be exempted, payments on bonds. So so what does that leave? And what are the areas that are left is what I'm, I'm trying to figure out for our not listeners. A, not a lot. Uh, so if you if you look at the state budget, there really aren't, I mean, there, there are a hundred different accounts, but there are really only a couple of big chunks of it. So you basically have K-12 education, higher education, transportation, health. Uh, those are kind of the, uh, the, 
biggest parts of it. And, you know, most of the K-12 education dollars is money that we send down to the county. So, for example, what the legislature did, now I'm, you know, I'm a new guy, I've only been there two years, but what the legislature did back in 08 when it was uh, short uh, on money is that they jammed up the county and stopped spending transportation money. So that that would be one option for the state to give the county less money. Now I I don't know which which option the governor is going to take, where he's going to trim, but those those major accounts would be the places that he would have the opportunity. So he could he could reduce uh, a little bit in transportation, a little bit in K twelve, a little bit in uh, in higher ed, and come up with the money. But I don't. I don't know where his balance will be on. Well, we look forward to seeing where this all falls out, and, and clearly we're going to hear from others as well. And look forward to talking to you more during the current session. We've been talking with uh, Senator Stephen Waugh, who is a Republican representing the 29th district, which is in Culbert and St. Mary's County, uh, and uh, in his first term in the in the state senate. And uh, Senator Waugh, welcome. Good to have you with us. Appreciate you taking the time with the listeners today. Well, thank you, Mark. I appreciate the invitation. We're going to take a short break, folks, but stay with us because when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation about the budget, the deficit, and what's happening in Annapolis with Delegate Sandy Rosenberg, who represents the 41st District in Baltimore City in the Maryland House of Delegates. Welcome back, folks. This is Mark Steiner, and we continue our lead up to the Annapolis Summit and this conversation about the looming deficit and the budget in the, that will be facing the state legislature. And we just heard from the reporter. And Senator Waugh, on the Republican side of the aisle, we're now about to talk with Samuel Rosenberg, Sandy Rosenberg, as we all know him, who's a Democrat who represents District 41 in the Maryland House of Delegates. And Sandy, how many years have you been in the House now? 20? I'm now in my 35th year. 35th? Since 1983. Right. Wow. So, knows his way around Annapolis. Um, and Indeed. welcome. It's good to have you with us. I haven't gotten lost in a long time. <laughs> Don't ask me the street name. Right, right. But I know how to get from place to place. Yeah, <laughs> I, I really that. don't know the street. Name. No, no, I understand that completely. I'm the same way, yeah. completely the same <laughs> way. So, um, uh, so what we're facing here with, um, uh, with with the budget gaps uh, that may be taking place, with the lowered expectations of revenues, um, and the governor last year really pushed the idea that I uh, uh, was really critical of, of mandated spending and, and wanted to be able to kind of untie his hands, as he said. So where do you think this leaves us this year, given that this will be compounded in this session? Well, I think historically the legislature and the governor, and when I say historically, I mean for a time longer, a period of time longer than the 35 years that I've been in Annapolis, have always wanted to preserve our AAA bond rating. Uh, that is a sign from Wall Street that we are fiscally sound, uh, it enables us to borrow money to build build state buildings, so on, at the lowest interest rate available. Uh, and so, and we have always done that in a sound way, not using tricks. And I'm certain that, you know, uh, cooperatively we'll do that again this year. Now, the devil's in the detail. Right, exactly. And, and in addition, you have the effect of changes at the federal level. For instance, uh, from what I've read, the Republicans are expected to end the end or diminish 
the federal match for Medicaid expansion under Obamacare. So if that is the case, we would be faced in Maryland with a decision, do we provide a subsidy for health care for the working poor, or don't we? I mean, that's just one of the dilemmas we'll be facing, I assume, uh, in light of the changes in Washington. So how do you begin to wrestle with that? If there are these places that you can't touch in some ways, I mean, the, the mandates. I mean, the governor's office said that he thought that mandates like, um, at least last year, K-12 through education, state pensions, the rainy day fund, uh, payments of state bonds would be exempted. Uh, so what does that leave you all in terms of figuring out what to do if there's not enough money to do the things we think we need to do? There's Medicaid, there's the transportation, there's the money that goes back to the states, uh, the, the city and the counties. Right. So, I mean, what, what, what do you think that takes you all? Well, no, these, these are tough decisions. Uh, and I hope we make them, you know, in a spirit of cooperation, not just between the legislature and the governor, but between the state and the local governments. Uh, the city in particular has, you know, the city school system has a big budget problem. And they'll be coming that, down there, right. It has to be right. addressed right. Right. Um, but I think if people, we know, these, we have to address these problems. This isn't a can that will kick down the road or it isn't, you know, an issue that could, could be delayed. We will balance the budget in a sound way, and I would hope that the rhetoric is one of cooperation, on all, everybody's part, is one of cooperation, and we've done this before, and we will do it again. Specifics, I don't know that we know the specifics yet, but I think hopefully we know the process that we should go by to do it, to accomplish this. Well, what about the governor's wanting to have more control over the mandated spending? He can, in, in introduce, and other, this is what uh, Governor O'Bally did uh, in tough budget years, a Budget Reconciliation and Financing Act called the BRFA that would amend, you know, for that fiscal year, you know, just for the, the one fiscal year, uh, some of those mandates. That is an option, and that's something we can, uh, we can consider, uh, and I would hope that we would. So, but I mean, for instance, education is constitutionally mandated. Right. That we provide, you know, a sound educational K to twelve public system. Uh, and so we and we passed mandates last year, some that the governor signed, some that he became law, that he allowed to become law without his signature, because we thought these were important policy issues. Here's another one that we might face in the coming year. I think it's all but certain that the Congress will defund Planned Parenthood. Uh, you think that will happen? That It's all but certain that that's going to happen. Uh, that's not one where they're going to uh, defund and delay, as is the tactic apparently for the moment for uh, the Affordable Care Act. So we would then face... The, the question, the policy question, you know, should we, uh, as a state, make up for the loss of federal funds when it comes to uh, family planning? Uh, I worked with pro-life legislators in my first term 
on such an initiative. We may have such a, an issue before us uh, this session, depending upon what the Congress does. So that that so th- these issues get even more complicated given what could happen in Washington D.C. in Absolutely. the next couple months. Absolutely. Oh, and let me add another factor in terms of the mandate. Yeah. One of the reasons why that's one of the few uh, options that we have because if the governor, the only if the only the governor can make an appropriation in the budget, we can't cut, let's say, a hundred thousand dollars in the Department of Health and move it from Program A to Program B. We can only cut it and then uh, negotiate with the governor uh, for him to submit a supplemental budget, which amends his original budget, to move that $100,000 from Program A to Program B. Because it's such a strong executive budget, one of the few policy options that the General Assembly has is to mandate there be funding for a certain program on a continuous basis. So in two years, there'll be an election for governor and the state legislature and, 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 and more. Correct. Um, and the governor's ratings are pretty high at this moment. Mm-hmm. And so I asked a question earlier of a couple of people whether or not there would be any question of raising fees or taxes, and the response was, well, Democrats are not going to do that, not in the face of the political climate in today's world. Mm-hmm. So if we don't have enough money to do the things that, that that people think might need to be done, then is that an option, or is that off the table completely? I would imagine it, any increase in fees is off the table for the coming session. That's my, that's my judgment at this point. I would think so. So that means that, that, that if the Affordable Care Act does get gutted a little bit by the Congress... And Medicaid, or a lot of bit. Or a lot, or a lot, lot of, yeah. of, right, right, whatever that Sorry. happens to be. <laughs> Medi- <laughs> shouldn't laugh about it. No, it's not funny. I'm not yeah, laughing I, as a I, joke. But, yeah, I understand. Yeah. Um, but so that could affect Medicaid, which would mean you'd have to find money there or not find it, which means that something else has to get cut. Correct. And then you also have the counties and the states coming for their, for their share, which was cut by Martin O'Malley significantly. And they're crying that there's not enough money for infrastructure needs. I mean... This is a really. This is gonna be a very tough session. Oh, you know, budget decisions, legislating in a difficult budget year is, is tough. It's not fun, and but that's how we uh, decide what our priorities are. The budget bill, as I was taught in my very first year, uh, is the policy document of the state, because that's where you decide where you're going to spend public resources. And I think that should be a, a discussion, a debate that is um, dealing with the issues uh, and not a bitterly partisan debate. But it's one that both, all the, not both, all the parties, as I said, governor, House and Senate, cities and counties and local governments, should all be participating in recognizing, and I think we do, that we have, we will preserve our AAA bond rating by doing by doing this process in a responsible way and not using gimmicks that are one-time only ways to balance the budget. 
So what would not be a gimmick from your perspective? What, what, what does well, that mean? I think a gimmick is something that's a one-time only source of revenue or a one-time only cut uh, that doesn't address the long-term issue. Those, I think that's what Wall Street rightly considers a gimmick and would not be seen as a favorable uh, action by them if we, if we were to do it. And I don't expect that we will. But does does that mean that the that 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 those with sometimes the least political power, some of the most vulnerable the vulnerable in the state, are the ones that will get hit the hardest in this? Are we talking about Medicaid or something else? Well, hope. I mean, that is normally without intervention and without advocates, and both from the public as well as within the legislature, uh, making. Looking after the interests of those who are not otherwise represented in Annapolis, uh, and I like to think that that's one of the things I've done over the years. Uh, Medicaid is vulnerable because uh, there will be no advocacy group. Well, there will be an advocacy group to preserve the Medicaid funding uh, for people who have gotten insurance under Obamacare because I think that will be a very important issue for the, for Democrats and hopefully for Republicans as well, that they won't want to see uh, people who currently have health insurance lose it. And I hope that would be a bipartisan effort to preserve that health coverage. Yeah, we can close with this thought. I was thinking about William Russell with his budget, and we're also in a state where <clears throat> the Republican governor did not openly did not vote for the Republican candidate in a Democratic state. Mm-hmm. And what that might mean with our relationship with the federal government vis-a-vis our budget needs and where that might take us, that could also be a factor. Oh yeah, No, I think Trump, the Trump administration has a significant effect on this in every state, both policy-wise and budget-wise and politically. Uh, and that's something that will play out over the course of well, the ninety days and then beyond for the for the four years. Absolutely, I mean they will be making the Republican Congress and President will be making very significant policy changes, both in the budget and uh, statutorily, that will have a significant effect upon Maryland and every other state. And how we uh, respond is one of the most important issues of the of the session. We look forward to seeing how this <clears throat> falls out and to uh, talking with you more during the session. Absolutely. We've been talking to Delegate Sandy Rosenberg, who for the last 35 years has been sitting in the House of Delegates representing District 41 in Baltimore City. And uh, Sandy, so, thank you so much for joining us. We really, really appreciate you taking the time. Take care. Pleasure.